And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I have a number of children's stories, one about me, a couple about my son. Children's stories, because I think that is the point of this passage is that you would connect with the reality that Jesus wants us to understand that we are to ultimately see ourselves as God's children. Something very childlike about the way that he talks to the disciples this morning. Maybe talking about children's stories will help us understand some of the realities of our existence. I was a, when I was a kid, one of the things that was really hard, I, I, for many years, I struggled with really bad nightmares. And I remember just having them for years. And uh, I remember when I would be young, I would have a really bad nightmare and I'd wake up. And um, I'd be terrified. And I'd always do the same thing. I'd get up, cross the hall, go into my parents' bedroom, go around the bed to my dad's side, and I'd start poking at him, you know. He'd wake up and he'd say, what is it, pal? And I'd say, I had a bad dream. And he'd always say, hop in bed, come on in. He'd put his arm around me. He'd kind of fall back to sleep, but as he did, he'd say, I love you, pal. Everything's just fine. The thing is, is I believed him. I believed him. I believed what he said. And I felt what he said. I felt better when I was with him. I felt better after I pursued him, and I believed what he said. And there was a peace that came after that. I believed him. Do you live that way? Do you live your life with that sense of peace? 
Do you live your life with that in, in knowing and believing that reality that you have a Father in heaven that loves you and that everything is going to be okay? Jesus would say that it's in our moments of anxiety and worry and fear that that reality becomes most real to us. Which is great because we have a lot to be anxious about. Which means there's a lot of opportunity perhaps to experience more than we do. This week I sat down early on Wednesday morning and I had my Bible out, my journal out. I was going to pray and read and write for a little bit. Had my hot cup of coffee, watching the sunrise over my backyard, just waiting for the spirit to just burst into my kitchen and have it be this amazing, wonderful, quiet time. And I look over on my kitchen, ta- or on my table next to me, and I see my mail pile. And I saw the first thing on top was that I just got a notice that said my housing insurance needs to be uh, renewed, so that's going to cost a lot of money. And then underneath that, I saw where my, my truck needs to be renewed, as my registration for my truck needs to be renewed. And then I thought, oh yeah, I have a check engine light on and I have to fix that before it can be inspected so that it can be renewed. And then I saw underneath that where uh, I was politely informed uh, by charter that my promotional period for internet providing is, uh, has expired and so they will graciously continue to offer me internet for uh, 20% more each month. Goodness. Needless to say, I did not have the most um, wonderful, quiet time that day. What's on your mail pile? We have a lot to be anxious about, do we not? We live in a world where the mail just keeps on coming and coming one day after another. All sorts of things getting you, try and focus your energy upon it. And our culture does not do us any favors. And it does not take that much imagination to understand what it is that we are anxious about and that we live in a really anxious world. We're desperately looking for peace. And then Jesus comes along in verse 22 and he says something radically different. He says, do not be anxious about your life. I kind of want to say, really? Have you seen my mail pile? Have you seen what's coming all the time? Constantly begging for my attention. Life is a lot, and Jesus seems in this passage to say, yes, I know, but do not be anxious about your life. I have a radically different vision for your life. And I think as we talk about anxiety this morning and and energy, I think that um, I'd like to uh, address a few things about anxiety in particular. I know some of you uh, struggle with anxiety very acutely. Anxiety is a very real part of your everyday existence. I think it is for all of us in different ways, but some of us feel it a lot more. We live with it every day. And one thing I don't want you to feel this morning is I don't want you to feel dumb. I don't want you to feel immature. I don't want you to feel worthless, and I don't want you to feel ashamed or foolish because you struggle with anxiety. And I think oftentimes we can make people that struggle with that or anytime that we just feel anxiety in general, we can make them feel that way because of sometimes just the way the church simplifies the anxiety problem. You don't have enough faith. That's why you have anxiety. Well, you're not trusting in God. And if you just trusted God, then you wouldn't have any anxiety. And so don't have any anxiety so that you can trust God and everything would fix itself, right? Anxiety is just a sin. It's just not enough trust in God. It's just not enough faith. Quite frankly, I don't buy that. 
that flat, simple view of your life, just simply, well, anxiety is just a sin. Really, how's that worked out? How's it worked out just to stop being anxious? Just stop worrying. How's it worked out just to trust God more? It's not that simple, is it? It's not that simple at all. And I think one thing that pushes back on that is look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know how, medically, how much emotional turmoil somebody would have to be to sweat blood? And yeah, does anybody want to say, Jesus, you've got a theological problem. You don't trust God. Don't be so anxious. If you weren't anxious, then you'd just jump on the cross with joy. Wouldn't be worried about it at all. Do we really want to have that simple of a view of anxiety? Or is there a way to think about it on different terms? How can we think about it on a little bit deeper level? If you think about uh, what you were made for, perhaps it'll shed some light on maybe another way of thinking about anxiety, which is that if you were made to live in the constant, life-giving, abundant, perfect, loving presence of your heavenly Father, that's what you were made for and nothing else. But then you live in this world that is separated from the fullness of His presence. You live in a broken, lie-filled, pain-filled world that wants nothing more than to consume and to cannibalize you and does you no favors in offering you any peace. I think we can easily say that anxiety seems inevitable to the human condition. We will be anxious at some point. And perhaps there's greater opportunity in that. We thought about it a little bit deeper. My son has, uh, he has this new game that he just seems to enjoy it. So we play it. One of the things he likes to do is when the pantry doors open, he goes into the pantry and then he grabs onto the shelving on the door and then he shuts the door and slams it shut. And then uh, he can't reach the door handle, so I have to go over there. But he loves it when I knock first. I'll knock and then I'll open the door. He goes crazy. He loves it. Thinks that's the most wonderful thing. And so he shuts the door again and he wants to do it again. And one of the first times we did this, we did it over and over and over and over again. And then this one, this one time, the next time, I, I didn't really knock that quickly. I waited. A couple hours or something like that, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I waited. <laughs> and I wasn't, I was just tr- maybe trying to get him to laugh or to bang on him or something. But I waited, and instead of hearing him laugh, I heard him start to whimper. And he got a little scared. And in his little mind, he started to really wonder, no one's knocking. Is dad still there? Am I all alone? I don't like this. I don't think because you have a few more years on your life that you're any different. If we are made for that type of relationship and presence with the Father that perhaps those moments of anxiety are the moments that you most acutely feel the separation you have from Him. The separation that you have from your Father. And you long for that true presence and His presence in your life. And in that moment that we feel that frailty and that isolation and that separation, we can either try and deal with our frailty on our own and move towards sin, or we have that opportunity to allow that to push us towards the Father. I think your anxiety asks you a question. Where are you going to spend all of that energy? Because we spend it somewhere. And Jesus begins to help us understand where it needs to go. 
It says in verse, uh, in verse 22, he turns his attention to his disciples. And we saw last week that when he deals with the rich fool, <coughs> goodness, excuse me, <clears throat> when he deals with the rich fool, just a few verses before this, he challenges him on his greed. And he says and expresses to him that the abundance of this greedy man's life is not found. The purpose of his life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That he has settled for a small view of life because it's bound up in things that he can't even keep. But Jesus continues this, this theme of a small view of life when he turns his attention to his disciples. But the teaching gets a little bit harder. He says in verse 23, He says, for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. He says, it's not, your life isn't just about the abundance of the things you have, but neither is it about having just enough or trying to scrape by. Life is more than survival. Life is more than just trying to have food and clothing, and this is a small view of life as well, because you were made for more than just to simply worry about what you'll eat, if you'll make it tomorrow, if you'll get there. Because in the end, it's still a small view. It's a small view of your own existence. Jesus challenges them to step back and take a look at the world around them for a second. Almost like he's talking to children. He says, look at the, look at the birds. Look at the ravens. This is the most unclean, like one of the most unclean birds in Jewish culture is a raven. They're filthy and ritually unclean. And, God, and Jesus says, does not God provide for them? They don't even worry about what you worry about. God will provide. He says, look at the lilies, look at the grass. He says, look at how beautiful they are, and they do nothing to make themselves that way. They do nothing to make themselves that way. God provides perfectly for them. God provides for your lawn. God provides for your flower beds. Why would he not also provide for you? He says, why do you, why do you toil? Why do you spin in circles? trying to have some measure of control. And he gets us down to the brass tacks, which is ultimately about trying to exert control that our worry pushes us towards. He says, if you can't add even one hour to your life, why do you worry about all the other hours of your life? You were made for more. And in your anxiety, we can settle for the the lie and the illusion that we can have control. And we were made for a lot more than that. We were made to be more than a hoarder, and more than a worrier. And both have the same problem because both are bound up in what you possess. One is bound up in things they can't even keep and the other is bound up in trying to get control and gain control, which is something that you can never have. And Jesus says there's a much bigger purpose for your life. He says, and none of it has to do with resources. It's all relational. And this is where he does bring in faith. He does say in verse 28, he says, Oh, you of little faith. But faith in what? That's a good question. Faith in what? What is Jesus saying? They they worry about these things, and they don't have a, a faith that leads them in one direction. It leads them in other directions. And so what is it that Jesus wants us to have faith in? Just some omnipotent, all powerful God out there that can do whatever he wants? Or is there something more than that? I think as we try to understand faith in what, we have to kind of look at anxiety from a different angle. 
I think we have to look at anxiety and the anxiety and the worry and the fear that we, we allow to control, to possess us at times, is that often that anxiety is a reflection of our own, low, or our own sense of low self-worth and value. That anxiety and our own sense of our value seem to go hand in hand. And anxiety and value seem to actually be somewhat related because Jesus actually brings these two things very clearly together and in relationship. He says in verse 24, he says, Of how much more value are you than the birds? If we flip that question for a second and thought about it and reworded it, why, he's basically saying, Why do you think you're worth so little? Why do you live as though you are worth next to nothing? Why do you have such little value and such a small view of yourself? I think it, if we think about anxiety, goodness, does it not seem to just thrive on that low sense of self-worth and that low sense of value? Think about social anxiety that you might have, some of us. You think about being in a group of people, and my goodness, those thoughts that come into your head all the time, just that constant chorus of, no one likes me. No one wants to get to know me. People are just nice to me to tolerate me, but they don't actually want to know my story. They don't want to hear it, so I'm not, it's not even going to tell it because it's not worth telling and nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to get to know me. No one likes me. Or think about financial anxiety. Think about the fact that we have to strong arm it because we think that, my goodness, we have to show our value to our company. We have to show our value in these ways so that, we don't be, so that we're not seen as invaluable. And so all of our energy goes into trying to show that we have some sense of value. Or think about spiritual anxiety. That deep unrest, that spiritual depression of the soul that can sometimes come. Do you not in those moments struggle with those thoughts at any point in your life? Why go to God? He doesn't care. Why continue to go to somebody that always seems to be on radio silence? Why, do I, why would I go to a God that seems to have so little love, care, and affection for me? God doesn't seem to love me whatsoever. And in fact, all I'm simply waiting for is the next shoe to drop. My goodness, does not anxiety make us feel a deep loneliness and separation of the soul? Goodness, it is like a plague. And why do you value yourself so little? And Jesus starts to push back, push back on us. And he says, he starts talking about the Father. Tells us that you have a Father that intimately knows all of your needs, everything that you could possibly need. And he will take care of you. And underneath this passage is that Jesus points us, the anxious soul, to the Father. And you read between the lines, and his question simply seems to be, do you not know how valuable you are to the Father? Do you not know that he has placed tremendous value upon your life? Look at the language that the scriptures use that God would have you as a possession for himself. And he pushes us towards the Father and says, don't be anxious. And the way you're going to deal with that is you go to the one, the most important possible place you could find any value whatsoever, and that's from your Heavenly Father. And Paul, uh, Paul seems to just echo the same exact words of Jesus. Philippians 4, 6. 
Some of you probably know it by heart. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Goodness. Do you know that access that you have to the Father that Jesus pushes you towards? And that we experience His love and the peace that comes from Him. He says that it's, it, it's beyond comprehension. It's not something that you can understand, which means that it's not something that can be explained to you. It's something that you have to pursue and be willing to experience. And this is where energy comes into the conversation. Because what do you do when you begin to feel that weight of anxiety and those walls kind of start to close in? What is the hardest thing to probably do is to stop and to pray. It is so hard to stop in those moments and where else does our energy go? Some of us, we become irrational and we think, uh, what about this and what about this and what about this and what about this? And your mind goes on and on and on trying to think of every possible scenario and you can't sleep, you become exhausted and eventually you just hit your breaking point and you break down. Others of us, we feel that anxiety and we become angry and we become wound up so tight that we snap at anything and everybody makes us feel more isolated. Some of us, we become incapacitated and we do nothing because we feel paralyzed and then that makes us feel worse because we've procrastinated from the things that we should try and focus on. Some of us overwork to try and have some sense of control over the situation and yet we isolate ourselves because we're so focused on it and then we feel untethered and disconnected from life. We try to escape and that leads us to some of our worst habits. It just brings more shame, more guilt, more frustration. And in these moments, how hard is it to stop and pray? To stop and to pray and to direct that energy to the Father. And Jesus says, if we spend our energy the same way the pagan world does, in a sense, we should not be surprised when we are as anxious as they are. And he's saying, you are different because you have been given something far better. He says, redirect that energy to the Father. And that prayer is that active, willful redirection of all of that energy towards your rich, abundant, loving Father. And the Bible does not present any remedy to offer you peace, any remedy for anxiety apart from seeking Him. And knowing His love for you and knowing that you are precious to Him. The only remedy for that anxiety is the love of a daddy. So we have to ask ourselves the question, faith in what? Faith in some cosmic, you know, God that can be omnipotent and all-powerful and can do whatever he wants? Well, that's the easy part. I already believe in that because I'm not an atheist. But when things get really hard and really difficult, is it that faith, a low faith in the fact that I have a God who is my father that believes that I am his child and that no matter what, all of his disposition towards me is complete, eternal, steadfast love. That's hard to believe in. That is hard to believe in in those moments whenever everything seems to be telling you the complete opposite. And Jesus is saying it's in those moments of anxiety where that reality can come to life. Just think about the gospel for a second. 
If you want to push back on the fact that the Father has tremendous value and you are precious to Him, what in the world, is there anything in the world that you would offer one of your children for? Is there anything that you would just sacrifice one of your children for in this world? Of course not. And yet we have this story, this Father, that for the price of His own Son would have you as a possession. Do you have any idea as to how much value the Father has in you and how precious you are to Him? What if you really believe that and that sunk into your heart? And He invites us to draw near and to participate in that. And as He invites us to draw near, Jesus expresses one more sense of how the Father has extreme value for us, and that is that we would participate in the work of the kingdom. That not only would we draw near, but we also would participate in the kingdom and that we would find our purpose in our Father's purposes. We would participate in the Father's work. Your value, again, is expressed in this command by Jesus. Seek His kingdom. Be about the business that your Father is about. Come alongside Him and pursue all the things that He wants. Come alongside Him and do His work and enjoy the gift of participation. But yet, does not our low sense of value often get in the way of that? We say, well, I'm not good enough. I don't, I, you know, I, I could serve, but I don't know what I have to offer. No one's going to listen to me. No one really wants me to be involved. One of the most common things I hear about India is people will say, you know, I'd love to go, but I just don't feel like I have anything to offer. And in that moment, we say, I will not participate because of my sense of what I have to offer and my value to the kingdom. And I think that the fact that Jesus, that God invites us, the Father, to participate in His work is an expression of your value. It's the expression of a Father's love. When I started mowing this year, Asher was finally old enough to be outside with me to mow. Last year, he couldn't walk, so he was just inside. And uh, so now he can walk. And I had a mower, and he was really scared of it early on. So I noticed he was scared. I didn't want him to be scared of it, so I turned it off. And I had him come over to me, and he kind of poked around on it and gave, a, you know, gave it the old uh, you know, the inspection. And he thought, okay, this isn't that bad. So I started it up, and I would carry him. And then he wanted to walk next to me. He just wanted to enjoy what I was doing. And then it got to where he got tired, but he still wanted to, me to hold him. So we got a harness. And so I'd carry him on my back, and we would just go mow the yard. And he loved it. Then his whole world changed when I got him a little green mower. And so, I won't let him outside whenever I'm weed eating, and I weed eat first, and I can see him at the window waiting to, get it, waiting to come out. So then I'll go, and I'll get the mower, and I start mowing, and I always look off to the side to watch the patio door, because at some point, Melissa's going to open that door, and there's going to be a little green mower that just goes airborne right out of that door. And he's just slow motion, chariots of fire soundtrack in the background. This is epic for him. He's coming outside and he's just going to turn around that table and the chairs. He's going to come right up alongside me and we're going to get to work together. Now, what if I knelt down when he came up to me and I said, go away. This is daddy's work. You don't need to be a part of this. You have a plastic green mower. It doesn't cut any grass. It doesn't do anything. Go away. Go back inside. Of course I don't. Because he's my son. I'd rather take two hours with him of him getting in the way than to tell him to go back inside and not have him around me. If the father didn't place tremendous value on your proximity and your presence with him and his presence with you, 
and he just wanted you to go away, and he believed about you what you believe about yourself, then why would he invite you to draw near to him and have peace that surpasses understanding, but also as we draw near to participate and come alongside him in the very work that he's doing? And in verse 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, because it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is one of the greatest gifts you could possibly have, is the gift of participation. And how you know you are near to the Father is when you're participating in the work that He's doing. What would it look like for you as we close if you began to put all that energy in your marriage and your job? You began to focus on the kingdom in those moments and you began to pursue the Father. How might your anxiety begin to melt away? How would that peace that He offers from knowing that you are precious to Him that he loves you and everything is going to be okay. Well, I heard a story this week from somebody, a friend. He said 20 years ago they were freshly married and perhaps like some of you, they didn't have any money to hardly scrape together. And so they were at a church service one day and the pastor was talking about giving and tithing and investing in the kingdom and that God would provide. And he said in that moment, he felt incredibly just convicted that even though it was tight, He was going to write the check anyways, and he was going to give. Three days later, he realized that he'd made a mistake, just an honest mistake. We've all done, everybody's been there. Made a mistake, and he overdrafted his account by a few hundred dollars. And he thought, oh my goodness, we don't have two pennies to scrape together. I have no idea how I'm going to cover this or take care of the overdraft fees. This is a mess. And he said it just just anxious, and all the anxiety came in, worrying about what was going to happen. And then his phone rings answers the phone and they said, hey, is this so-and-so? And he says, yeah. He says, hey, well, this is, a, this is a deacon from the church. And I just wanted to let you know that, one, I'm a little embarrassed to be calling uh, in the first place, uh, but I needed to let you know what happened. This morning, whenever I put my pants on to get ready for work, I reached in my pocket and I found your check. I counted the money on Sunday after we collected the offering, and I have no clue. I have no idea how your check got into my pocket. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I could just go, ch- go cash it. But then when I looked at it, uh, the problem is I'd, I already washed those pants since Sunday, and so your check is completely ruined. And I'll have to give it back to you on Sunday. And in that, he learned a very near uh, a lesson of when God comes near. And he says from in that moment, he saw at the kingdom, but after that, there was something about that and the way that God showed up and offered him some peace that he's never worried about writing the check sense. It's not necessarily, it's not something to get you just to write a huge check. It's the fact that in the end, he asked you to give it back because we receive something far better in return. And that he comes and he says that I am going to take care of everything and he's never forgotten that. And what might God offer to you if we began to seek his kingdom? Because it's in light of that provision and that love that we will be taken care of, that Jesus can say, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and store up treasures in heaven. Now, we might not be ready for that tomorrow. You might not be ready to go sell everything you have. What if you just took baby steps? What if you went into your closet and you just gave away all those clothes that you don't wear? Give them to somebody that needs it. Or what about... um, going around your house and realizing all the things that you don't need, go and sell it. Spend the energy to sell it and then to give it to the benevolence fund. Give it to CRI. 
do something with that money to seek the kingdom. Maybe it is tithing. Maybe as you consider tithing in the, in the amount that you tithe, maybe it's simply asking yourself the question, does the number that I tithe reflect my trust in the Father or is it more an expression of my own anxiety and fear? Maybe some of you don't tithe at all. Start with five bucks. Start with something. You put yourself in that place where you seek the kingdom and the peace that comes from investing that energy in the kingdom and seeking the Father. Maybe it's time for some to get out of, of debt because debt has just been such a, uh, a barrier to being able to participate in the kingdom. It would be a good opportunity to allow yourself the options of greater opportunity for service. Sponsor a child or a pastor in the deep forest. Actually put food in mouths of people that don't even know when their next meal is going to come. If you want to change your life, do that. Or maybe you struggle with uh, pursuing the Father in prayer and in reading the scriptures, that's hard for you and you always, you don't have the discipline to do it. Maybe that's why you should get involved in a, co- or a cultivate group because you need somebody else to come alongside you and encourage you. A brother or a sister to hold your arms up and push you towards the Father because sometimes we're so reluctant to do it on our own. How might God, exper- how might you experience the Father's love and how valuable and precious you are to Him when you seek Him and His kingdom? It's not something that can be explained to you. It's something that you have to take your energy and use it to experience it. And all of that anxiety that we feel asks us the question, what are you going to do with all that energy? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we thank you that you challenge us to push towards the Father instead of pushing towards illusions of control, illusions of being able to somehow do something about our circumstances when really we're ultimately powerless before them. Help us to see our anxiety in a different light that perhaps it's in those moments that you are most clearly beckoning us to you. And yes, there's times where it's difficult, but you continue to draw near to us. Help us to believe that you are the Father that loves us, even when everything seems to tell us that that's not true. Give us that radical faith, the trust and the radical love of our Father. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.